Well, good day to you, my friends and listeners. Today, we have a great opportunity to speak with Marlette Dumas, and she is down in Texas in the greater Houston area, I believe. Am I correct, Marlette? Yes, Houston, Texas. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you for joining with me today. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you. Bright and sunny down here. Oh, wonderful. I wish it was like that up in South Dakota where I'm at. <laughs> but you're you're down there working in the oil and gas industry, and uh, this seems to be something that you've been doing for quite some time, and I, I'm feeling very excited. Why don't we start at the beginning, start with you. How, how did you get into the oil and gas sector? So at first, um, just my parents always pushed us for math and science. We grew up in an area that was very mixed um, racially, so they just thought, you know, what's the best chance for our kids? And so they always pushed math and science. So I can remember from very, very early on that that education somehow was just incredibly important. And I belong to a group that now is similar to STEM, um, TSTM, but it's now called STEM. And so just even when I was in high school, that has always been the thing for us. And my mom had introduced me to a physics laboratory run by the government. And I started out as a physicist and I didn't want to be stuck in a room by myself all day. So eventually I I changed my major to mechanical engineering. And I thought that renewables was the way to go at the time. But that was like 25, 30 years ago and it hadn't quite caught on yet. So I thought, okay, I still want to be in energy. And that's when I began to meet companies like BP and Shell. And I just naturally gravitated toward Um, mechanical engineering on the projects side. So I've been doing it for quite some time. And there were not very many women and definitely not many people of color. But I I just I started there and I just hung in there. And um, it's probably gotten somewhat better, of course, over the years. But that's how I got started um, as a project engineer, a facilities engineer, actually, with BP here in Houston, Texas. And I've been doing that ever since. So was it was it difficult getting taken seriously in such a male dominated industry? In yes. The- <laughs> <laughs> yes. So at first, I think they were doing it because they were really trying hard to diversify their workforce. And some people might have said things like, you know, they hired you because you're an African-American woman or whatever. But my father always told me, hey, it doesn't matter. How, right Back then, anyway, they said it doesn't matter how you get in. Just make sure you do a great job once you get there. And so that's how I started. Um, I started there when I think they hired us at the time, three black women. And it was good. Um, Lots of bumps along the way, but um, also formed some networks with other people on on just how to do well and get through each day and meet the challenges each day. So at the time I was doing some deep water projects, um, just uh, bringing them on and with design and um, just through like a stage gate process to bring projects online. Wow. Has it has it gotten better than since then? I like to think so, because now I see more people that look like me. Um, I am a petite woman, so that, too, played into it quite a bit. Um, it, of course, it was very much a male-dominated world, still is, but it's, it's getting better. But uh, I think that back then, I was just trying to figure out how to, and now I don't encourage anyone to do this, of course, but back then I was trying to figure out how to fit in. So I would wear pantsuits to work or um, things like that to try to make myself feel and look more like what they were looking like or behaving like. More masculine kind of? Yes, I took on more of a masculine persona at times. Um, Sometimes I would speak up in meetings. Sometimes I wouldn't, just depending on if they were going to maybe cut me off mid-sentence or something. So I really had to just bring a mentality 
that, hey, just be present and try to put my ideas forward and put myself forward, even though it was not in the environment that that was welcome at the time. It wasn't not, not very welcome, but still have to somehow figure out how to dig deep and, and do it anyway. Right. I can only imagine how dif- difficult that might have been for you. Absolutely. Uh, in Especially with as much education as you've gotten, it appears that you, <laughs> you are very well educated. Yeah. So so my parents' message really, really um, sank deep with me. I, I really just grabbed onto that. Um, I have both my bachelor's and master's in mechanical engineering from um, in Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago, <laughs> where my heart is, and uh, University of Colorado in Denver for my master's. Wow, that is awesome. So what is your favorite part of being involved in the oil and gas industry? What's what's the favorite part of your education oh, that you get to yes. use every day? <laughs> so I wouldn't say that I get to use a lot of the technical things every day. I think that that's part of it if someone chooses to go that route. Um, I went more into the project management and risk management side. But if you ask me what would I say is the best part of that, I think that when we're in engineering school and we're we're working with students who are also some of the best in the world or they've been brought up to to understand that they need to be the best in the world, it really teaches us how to think. So how to solve problems, how to process, how to make decisions, how to guide people that are, how to be an influencer, how to guide people who are making decisions into making the right decision or the best decision. So the technical things aside, it's more so how to lead and how to influence and how to direct. And that's something that, I mean, probably you can get that in a lot of different ways, but I felt like engineering school really does teach how to solve problems. Critical thinking and problem solving. Very skills. much so. Yes, very much so. I love it. Actually, I can't even because I, I I would like to think that I'm fairly good at critical thinking and problem solving, but I I don't. Ooh, that that seems like a very tough job to me. <laughs> seems like there, <laughs> that there might be so much involved. How exactly do you analyze the different aspects? Gosh, so I think it's a multi-step type approach for me. One is is very, very early on, I would say, learn who's who the players are, who, who, who are you solving the problem for? Where are the resources? Who can I go to for information if it's something that I'm not already really familiar with? So just know who the players are. And then how to gather information, pertinent information, like is this important? Is that important? Where to go to get that information? Who do I need to talk to? And then sorting through it all. I mean, sometimes you've got some information that may not be important at all. And then some some of it is is the the definite needle in the haystack kind of thing. How do you find that? So that I would say is part of it. And then how to present once I've made a decision or or I think I've I've found the answer or I'm looking at this software or whatever. Um, how do you how do I present that to the people that are going to make the decision? So that, too, is important. Like what what will they be most receptive to? And if it's nothing that I don't think they're going to be receptive to, how do I couch it in a way that they will say, "Aha, uh-huh, yes, I understand how we how this might be a better direction." So for me, it's it's more of a, a process. It, it, uh, probably four or five steps, but that's how I do it. <laughs> wow, I was going to say that's that's really interesting. That's that's not even just crunching numbers as much as it's also incorporating. In, it sounds like human behavior and uh, and and other and other outside information. I couldn't help but thinking how nice it would be if uh, more more journalists would do that amount of research too. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They probably do, but yeah, that that's true. Oh, some of them absolutely do. I can't. Yeah, I couldn't imagine what it would be like. I <laughs> be, be them. 
Right. No, it did be a high pressure job. That's for sure. Although, mm-hmm. right. Has has the pressure grown in Texas since, uh, well, since mid January? And, and then, of course, that cold snap have have things been changing for you down there? So. So yes and no. I, I think what really caught us was this storm. Right. But um, as far as folks working from home and things like that, yes, that's still ongoing. But but like I said, some of them are are starting to come back and some of them were working from home already on some type of limited basis anyway. But yes, I think the the pressure is um, the industry is going through a a change right now. Right. So we've got um, people think that maybe oil and gas or, or uh, is not as attractive uh, as, as it has been in the past. So we're looking at other things now like renewables and, and things like that. So that's coming on board, even though it may seem slow right now, I think that it's going to be very, very important as we move forward. So a lot of the larger, I've only, I've only worked for, I should have said this earlier, I've only worked for large operators, right? So they're starting to change some of their, their ways of thinking on what might be a way to go in the future. So maybe not so much petrochemicals, maybe more uh, renewables or what they could get into um, like for example, electric cars is, is becoming a thing, right? So what can they do to try to take part in that new direction that our society is, that we're going as a society? So even things like, I don't want to bring up political things, but things such as like global warming and things like that. So we're trying to figure out what what we want to look like as a leader still in the industry, even though things are starting to change. Yeah, well, and that makes sense because, like you said, there there are quite a lot of changes, and I'm sure that there's going to be quite a lot more throughout the rest of the year. I mean, we we only just made it out of February, right? Right. So I guess kind of a, a big question, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a big question that a lot of people are wondering is where where are things going to be going from here? Do you think that this is going to constitute kind of a cut down on on oil and gas itself, or do you think it's going to bring about more of an integration and a balance between renewable energy and the oil and gas industry? I know that uh, Texas yeah. kind of prides itself on that balance. Yes. So I've been in Texas now about 25 years, and I've seen it go from where it was heavily oil and gas, where it really was the number one industry here, and we were world leader, um, not just leader in the U.S., but world leader as far as almost like a headquarter type situation. Now, Houston itself has taken on many other industries as kind of a, a headquarters, right? So you've got health and care and things like that down here now. And then oil and gas, the industry itself, the energy energy, the energy industry itself has started to change. So I'm going to say yes. It, the funny thing, what I think sometimes is just really ironic. I'll I used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company and <laughs> pull in an electric car? So I mean even us, I mean even in our in our circles, we can see that things are changing. So would you say it's gonna be somewhat of a blended type situation, I say very much so, yes. Even though the profits with the numbers that they're looking for right now may not be there, I think that society is going to push us or at least make us strongly consider how to make that type of energy more profitable or more attractive. Um, we Sure, we're going to have enough to last for many, many years, but the, I think now that they're trying more, okay, what else can we do? What can we do differently? and still stay <laughs> in the good graces of, of society. So I think that they're almost being forced to be more of a blended type um, 
industry, in the industry, the energy industry. When I say I'm not talking just oil and gas, I'm talking right. about energy in general. Yes. Right. Do, I mean, do you do you see this being kind of a, a pause? I mean, is it actually helping, I guess, is the real question. Is it do you think that um, moving to a more blended industry will actually help the, the issues that are being brought up by the climate? I mean, or do you think that this is just kind of just where society seems to be shifting to? I think both. I think both. There are a lot of people who are paying attention to what they're doing. Like you may notice people are recycling more or whatever. So those people are learning what it means to care more for the environment. So they're almost wanting to see that. But at the same time, if as a company, they have their their shareholders, their stakeholders, their their other affiliations or relationships, and they need to please those people, too. So that blend is going to come regardless. And I mean, it may not be 50-50 anytime soon, but, <laughs> but it is coming. Certainly, yeah. Well, I guess that actually kind of brings me to another thought. You know, in speaking with, for example, Governor Doug Burgum, he had mentioned a whole bunch about uh, uh, carbon sequestration um, and, and, and using coal. Actually, Governor Mark Gordon had mentioned that, too, in Wyoming. Do you think that Texas is going to take a focus on coal to begin with? Or do you think that it's going to be more of a focus specifically on, like, the solar and uh, and wind turbine energy for right now? Or, or, I mean, I guess back to that balance, there's options. So something clean for sure. I mean, something clean for sure, because they want to try to stay, they want to try to be as um, respectful to the environment as possible. But yes, I, I don't really know much about coal, um, so I can't really speak on that. But I do know that companies, they at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they're, go- they're responsible for answering to not only our government and things like that, entities like that, but they also have their shareholders, their stakeholders, and people that they, they're their bottom line. And so they sometimes, they really do have to follow, they have to follow in that direction, um, but but do it as, as cleanly and neatly as possible. So I see, I see, you mentioned solar, so I see things like solar and wind creeping up. But um, at the end of the day, they still have to stay afloat as as a business. Right. Right. So that's that's kind of where I see it. Well, and I know that there's I mean, obviously, there's multiple options when it comes to to energy and where we get our energy from. Um, I keep forgetting that nuclear is even a thing. And I guess even that nuclear. was we were a just, big. <laughs> yeah, we were just I was just having I was just chatting with a, a long chat, actually, with a, a colleague yesterday about that. And yes, I do see now the U.S. right now. OK, maybe not not as much as a big player, but I do think it's coming. Hmm. I I have reservations about about nuclear energy. It's a lot of power, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which could is. be very very good, but it could be yes. very very bad too. And it could be very bad. You know exactly scary, but really cool. And I mean, geo, I don't know if you've looked explored much into like geo uh, geothermal. Um, there there's this other other sources. You're right. It's a big there's a it's a big playing field. So do the businesses that you work with do they work in the uh, geothermal energy realm? So no, not right now. The work I'm doing, I do volunteer work right now for the Society of Petroleum Engineers here in Houston. And um, so they too have even started to change their, um, their the way that they, they run their organization. So it's now professional professionals in energy. Um, so I would say, yes, there's a change all across the board. Absolutely. So, well, yeah, I mean, I guess we've, 
Yeah. We've been talking uh, for a little bit about all the changes. We know we know more changes are going to be coming, but and it's so mm-hmm. hard to predict with well, with so many variables. So the thing I also see is a lot of the folks that have been in the industry a while, some people might call them seasoned oil and gas folks, they that's all they've known. They've been in it for 20, 30 years. They they just happened to st- were able to stay in the industry. And I think they'll they're gonna hope that things stay that they can stay in oil and gas until their retirement, which should be, you know, relatively soon. But some of the the people that are new, like say those that have less than 5, 10, 15 years experience, they've grown up in the industry knowing that there are other options for energy sources. And so I think they're going to be more comfortable, we'll use the word comfortable, with changes of uh, where we source our energy from. So I think for them, it will be okay. It, It will be fine. It's it's just kind of an interesting, I guess, uh, uh, to watch the the shift, the mindset shift. But that actually that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's what I what I'm saying. The, the playing into the mind shift, yeah. or even even the mindset, right? Um, some of them are, are like some of the, the students that I work with now. They're okay. Their their minds are more flexible. They're more. Oh yes, I see how that's better for us. I see how it's better for the environment. We can still get close to our numbers, and they're more. They're more agreeable to understanding that, yes, this is the direction we're going. But when I talk some, to some of the folks that have been in the industry like me for, a, you know, fairly a while anyway, they don't want to see oil and gas go. They they think that that's there. It's been, I don't want to say cash cow, but it's been bread and butter for so long that that's that's what they're, they're well, you know, I'm retiring in five years, so hopefully I can ride it out, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's, it's that kind of thing. Well, it's interesting, too, because I've actually been hearing quite a lot more about how um, our oil and gas industry is actually much more clean and environmentally friendly than the the population would like to actually give credit for or that they or that they know about, I guess, too, you know? Yes. So lots of things have come into place from the government. Like, can you remember things like sometimes folks talk about used to talk about flaring or maybe they still like for now they still talk about fracking so those things are things that we hear and see on different media right um what they may not what what society may not be so aware of is the steps that we're taking to make things better um so you don't see a lot of that anymore where they're where people where oil and gas companies maybe maybe not respecting the environment as much as um, they had in the past. So now they're being more, um, a lot of our practices are now more um, stringent or uh, we're not allowed to do that or we're only for certain periods of time or something like that. And those those steps, those, even though those steps seem small, those, and some of them are big actually, they don't get, um, they don't make time, they don't get airtime. So people don't get to see that we're making those changes. Right. Well, and that's something that I had noticed as well. Um, it, do you does is now is this a factor? Is this something that gets taken into account as you are assessing the different projects as well as how you know what what steps have been taken to be more environmentally friendly when it comes to the projects? Yes. Yes. Very much so. So, I, as a risk manager, which I'm I'm no longer a risk manager, but back when I was, um, we would we have different. how do you want to say, different components of the project that we assess. And one of them, and it always is so, is safety and environment. We always seek out what could be the risks and how do we weigh them? Like, how do we mitigate them? How do we assess them? And then what do we do to to actually just lower or completely 
remove that risk entirely? What can we do differently to remove that risk entirely? So, yes, absolutely. And I'm talking about environmental risk. I'm talking about safety. So when I say environmental things that have to do with the environment or the air we breathe or whatever, uh, and is it is it a risk and how do we how do we mitigate it? How do we move it? And, and how, what do we do if it does happen? What, what What's our response? So, yes, absolutely. So. Right. Well, and then I, I guess I was kind of wondering, too, how much how much accountability is there for the companies when it comes to these projects to be environmentally friendly or to try and take those steps to be as environmentally friendly as possible? Or, or Well, there is. Yes, I agree with you. There is accountability, sometimes even at a government level, like maybe there's a fine that might be assessed. And then even like I mentioned earlier, for shareholders, stakeholders type people, um, they need to know that we're we're behaving in a certain way. And they they don't if we're not, then they'll move on to to invest in someone else. So absolutely, there's accountability in that regard. And then even at the at the project team level, um, they, we don't like to do finger pointing, of course, but we work as a team to try to do what's best. And, and we're held accountable even within our own small groups to try to do make, make the best decision. Nice. Yeah. See, it just it just kind of seems like these are the types of this is the type of information, I guess I should say, that doesn't generally get put out there because the oil and gas industry is is made to look so, so awful. And so I I I hadn't even brought it up to talk about before, but I I guess I had been wondering about the the different levels of accountability and consideration when it came to that. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's. That's, That's a spectrum, I would say. It's a spectrum. So there's always going to be some type of a governmental um, policy or we need to follow this uh, rule. And so there's fines. And those, of course, we don't want to have to get stuck with fines. So there's always that. All the way down to the smaller things, you know, like maybe there's a person who doesn't want to sit on a particular team because they've decided to take this direction. So that person may choose to work on a different project team. And like I said, it's all it all boils down to relationships do they want to be affiliated with a team and a, a set a set of people who have this type of thinking um, that we want to do do things right and respect the environment even though we're in oil and gas so yes yeah I've seen some people make decisions like I have a girlfriend um, she decided to go with a company that does that wind turbines she's been oil and gas ever since day one just like me but um, she's made decided to you know she, she still wants to be in energy but She's decided to to take a different route. Yeah. Zena, it's and, fascinating, and mostly because and mostly because of accountability. She doesn't want to be the person who's on the team that that's um, not respecting our environment and things like that. Well, that's not that's not a bad mindset to keep either, mm-hmm. especially when the consideration that you're taking is specifically for other people. I've I've heard uh, different different things about the wind turbine technology. Um, it'd be I don't know. So it's 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 kind of interesting seeing the differences between all of them. I I obviously am not a professional within the industry, and so I get to I'm lucky in the way that I get to hear firsthand a lot of information only because I have this awesome opportunity to speak with really cool people like you. Um, Thank you. So <laughs> Thank you. I very very much appreciate it. Actually, uh, Talk Texas Oil had uh, recommended that we get into touch with you because of all of your extensive. Uh, background within the industry so I was right, right. very excited about it yeah thank you yeah I like working with her she's an awesome person 
Yeah, I guess I'm still kind of new to doing this with the crude life, so I don't know too much about Talk Texas Oil or the the Petroleum uh, Association that you are involved in either. Oh, yes, Society of Petroleum Engineers, yes. or well, that's its former name anyway. Um, yeah, so that group, uh, even though it's called Society of Petroleum Engineers, at least up until just recently, um, it's it really is more... Um, it's not just petroleum engineers. There's almost everyone from every area of uh, oil and gas. So we have G&G and, um, gosh, we have facilities engineers, pipeline. We have a lot of different folks, but it's a good um, resource. We have, of course, classes and seminars and all those types of things. Um, so people can study other parts of the industry within our organization. Um, and then we do things like uh, hiring events, which we have one coming up at, uh, in early April, um, so it's a, it's a, just an outstanding resource for people, everyone in the oil and gas, and and now we like to say the energy industry because we've opened it up to renewables. So yes, it's a really good resource. And um, the other organizations that I'm in, they too, even though some of them are, are for women, like Women's Energy Network and things like that, they too are um, very inclusive. As far as, I mean, yes, it began with a group of women <laughs> that were in the oil and gas industry. We were trying to figure out how do we manage our way through um, being very minority. Um, but that, too, is another excellent resource for women um, in oil and gas. Definitely. Sounds like it. What what kind of advice do you think you'd have for any ladies who might be listening and are considering getting into the oil and gas industry or into the energy industry in general, I guess? Okay. Uh, so first of all, I say just learn as much as you can while you can. That's There's a learning curve that is there and it's it's steep, right? They don't, if you're not a petroleum engineer, they don't teach this in school, right? So it's pretty steep. Align yourself with the right people, a mentor or someone who's been in the industry a while that maybe there's just a person who you know that's in the industry. Definitely align yourself with them and, and build a great relationship. Learn how to build relationships. That's another key thing. Um, but I would say it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's competitive. It is competitive, but that's probably not the most important thing. I'd say the most important thing is to learn the industry, learn it inside and out. Uh, learn learn their job inside and out because it, almost every moment counts. It's almost like a pressure cooker. Um, when I go in in the beginning of the day, there's already problems still left over from yesterday. So you're really working hard to cram as much into one day as possible and just learn how to do that. So time management, how to solve problems, and and learn what you learn the job really really well. The industry is so complex. Um, you asked me earlier about why would I have even chosen oil and gas. I chose it because it, the risk, for, I, I'm upstream, right? I've done a little bit of everything, but I'd say upstream, especially the, the risk that, and when I say risk, I mean being able to push like technology and things like that, um, deep water or length of a pipeline or something like that, where it's never been done before. Align themselves with someone like that who knows, who has a history or some experience with how challenging the industry can really be and how to solve those pro tough problems and that it's okay to learn how to take calculated risks, things like that. That's what's going to set the difference. Um, just understand that that is the tone. That's always going to be the tone. Um, just be, be willing to work hard to be able to work in that type of an environment mm -hmm. where it's just high pressure almost every day. Nice. Be be prepared to to work on your motivation and perseverance. In other words, yes, 
Yes. And the other th- difference I'd say and then other parts of the energy industry, some of um, some companies work in, in, let's just say, hundreds of thousands of dollars or maybe a few million dollars. But if they're going to work with like an operator, someone that's a world leader or has largest project x project in the world they're going to be working on projects that are billions of dollars right so sometimes six seven eight ten billion dollars so understand that the it sometimes it's not even the size of the project that matters but just understand that we're talking real money here more money than some people ever see in their lifetime but these projects are some of them are really really big dollar and there's always safety involved there's timing involved schedules cost all those things and if it's a, if they're losing a few thousand dollars in some parts of the industry, that's no big deal. But when you're talking about millions of dollars, that's a big deal. And we're responsible for that, right? The project team members that might have a piece of the project that they're responsible for, that's X millions of dollars. So be able to understand that, hey, the, impor- the work that you're doing, it's very, very important. And it's affecting people's lives. When we flip that switch, we expect power to come out. When we go to the gas station, we expect fuel to come out. So just understand that we're doing a very important job, and it's our responsibility to learn our job really well and do the best that we can, even though we're we're in a, a world that's changing every day. Yeah, just just keep learning and and stay on top of stay on top of what they need to know for the for their role and and the project and the company in general. I love it. That's brilliant advice, probably for any industry, but I love it. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank Th- you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Marlette. I very much appreciate sure. it. Sure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And I, I hope so, I hope at some point I might be able to talk to you again. You never know. Of course. Absolutely. I'll be right here. <laughs> Wonderful. Absolutely. Well, um, is there anything else that you would like to add? Any, any, oh, well, happy. I know I'm a day late, but happy um, International Women's um, History Day uh, to the women that are there and all the great work that they're doing. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I, we're getting there. We are, we are really getting there. I think so. I think good things are coming. I do. I truly believe that coming. good things are going to be yeah. around the corner and, and yeah. uh, it's going to look up. It's going to be great. Absolutely. <laughs> So thank you. Well, thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, I look forward to in the future when we do get to speak again. Likewise. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, my friends, that was Marlette Dumas, and she is a brilliant mind in the oil and gas industry, has been for quite some time. And if you enjoyed listening to what she had to say, make sure that you go check out the rest of what thecrudelife.com has to offer.